Amen. Thank you so much, Kyle. I feel like I'm hot up here, like microphone. I was hoping my wife would say, yeah, you're hot, but she did not say that whatsoever. That was the opportunity. Uh, welcome. My name is Dave. If uh, you are a first-time guest with, uh, with us, I'd like to meet you after service, get connected to you. Um, just so we're glad that you've joined us for worship. And we are in a series. We're in week number two of our prodigal series where we are going through the, the story, the parable of the prodigals, or maybe more aptly said, the parable of the two lost sons. And if you missed last week, listen to last week. We had a great start to, to our series. Uh, five people gave their hearts to Christ. A great start to our series, which is fantastic. Thank you. Um, it's just the way things ought to be. That's the way we wanted to focus this series. And uh, last week, we had a computer uh, program crash after crash, so we had no screens at all. This week, one bulb burnt out this morning. Now, I don't look for a demon under every rock or behind every bush, but... Um, the prodigal series, I believe, is going to be pivotal for our church. And so when it comes to things um, fouling up and things happening that are out of anybody's control... I'm at this place where I just expect because I believe this is a series that the enemy does not want to go out. And so thank you for joining and thank you for everybody online. If you have your Bibles, Luke 15, if you have been with us, uh, just know Luke 15 is where you can land every single uh, message of this series. So we've got seven total weeks of prodigal and uh, just go to Luke 15, just live there. I would challenge you every week, pick a different um, version of the Bible to read. Pick a, try the NIV. We're going to do NIV today. Do the Amplified. Do the New King James. Do the King James if you grew up on King James. Everybody grew up in the King James? Absolutely. I still quote the Psalms in the King James. Um, that's just what I grew up on. Uh, just pick a different version. Pick the message. Some of you have been scared of the message. It won't bite you. It's just a very simple uh, rendition of the scriptures. Pick one of them. Read a different one each week and just pray over it and ask God to just do a revelation in your life. Um, Luke 15, I'm going to read out of the NIV today. I haven't done that in a while. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had how many sons? Two sons. It shocked me last week, the amount of people that came up to me and said, I never heard a message about the prodigal that included the older son. There was an older son. I had a ton of people just shocked that we're talking about the other son. There's two lost sons. Verse 12, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So we divided his property between them. Lord Jesus, thank you for the day, for this time together. I ask that you would just bless, bless the words that would be said today. Let them not be my words, but your words. Let it fall like seed upon good soil. And Lord, let fruit be born from people's lives, God. I just thank you for the wonderful weather we've got today. I thank you, Lord, for the time that we can worship together. And I, Lord, I do thank you. I thank you, thank you that football season is coming, Lord. So we just bless you today in your name. Amen. God bless football. I miss it so much. Um, I Thank you. God bless. Something that I do every two to three weeks, and I think everybody, if you can, everybody should do it. I think everybody should donate blood platelets. It's something that, uh, I don't know when or how long ago I started it, but every two weeks, three weeks, I go and I now know most of the phlebotomists by name. I heckle them, they heckle me, it's wonderful. Um, the head phlebotomist, her name is Carrie, and so she's like, Mr. Dave, I'm like, Miss Carrie, how you doing? And so we just talk back and forth. One time they're complaining about being hungry, so while I was locked up, I'm ordering pizza on my phone, having it delivered. Uh, but we just have such a great relationship, but I think everybody ought to do it because it helps cancer patients, it 
helps. I've got a few uh, former students of mine that are going through health crisis. They need um, platelets. I think it's a wonderful thing to do, but I will admit there is a portion of donating that I just cannot stand doing. It's having my finger poked at the very beginning. I hate needles. I, so y'all are looking at tattoos right now. I know what you're looking at. It's a different type of needle. It's just, it's different. Leave me alone. But I hate having my finger pulled. I'm like almost like whining about it right now. Voice cracked like I'm going through puberty here. Uh, I just, I can't stand it, but over the, especially over the past year or so, it's actually changed a little bit so I don't feel it as much because, because of my rock climbing, my ends of my fingers have, I have weird calluses on the tips. And so, but it can be really quite a, a painful experience for somebody that doesn't have calluses. So it was about a few months back that there's a, a newer person she was uh, doing the whole check-in thing and she had somebody kind of watching her. So I'm like, oh, she's got a trainee with her. So I got to be on my best behavior because usually with the people there, I'm very familiar and I just I act like an idiot sometimes because humor is my default. And so she goes to prick my finger and she hits one of my calluses and no blood comes out. And she goes, well, that's odd. And she goes, let me see the other hand. So she pricks the other finger and she hits a callus. She goes, oh. Well, let's try a different one. So she goes back to this hand. She gets to the fourth finger. No blood has come out yet. And the guy behind her goes, wait, I need to go check on something. And then she's, and she's, so she's like getting out another needle. She's got to go through four, you know, now her fifth needle here. And she goes, I don't know what's going on. I said, ma'am, I feel bad because the person training, he's, he's maybe missing something. She goes, oh, no, 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 no. He's not training. He's my supervisor. I'm like, oh, no. She's, she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I should have told you. I, I rock climb, I got these weird. I said, hit the side of this finger and you'll get all that you need. And so as soon as he walks in, I'm like, let me just, I'm like, I feel so bad. And so I'm going to her defense. I'm like, this is not her, it's me. I feel like I'm breaking up. It's not her, it's me. It's, I, I just, you gotta hit the side of it. And then that way you can get all the blood that you need. Check the iron, check all of blah, 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 blah. It's, it was, just, it was just a mess. And so I get in and Carrie's like, what took you so long? I'm like, I'm on my fifth prick on the finger. And, and so she's like, what is wrong with you? I don't know if other things are wrong with me. We have all this conversation there. But the reason why most people don't like their finger pricked is because you may not know that there are more sensory uh, receptors within your fingertips, more at your fingertips than in most areas of your body. And the reason why it's so painful is because there are areas of your brain that are actually have more connections from the fingertips and the sensory um, um, receptors of your fingertips. There's more that actually accesses your brain than any other body part. Which is why that if you get a paper cut, why is a paper cut so painful? It's because it happened on a part of your body that has more sensory receptors and it reaches more areas of your brain than most other areas of your body. It's so wild that something as small as a finger prick, as a, as a paper cut can cause so much pain that can cause you to now uh, take notice and then walk away thinking about it for the next you know, minute, hour, two hours, or however long you're going to be feeling the pain. Why are we talking about pain and pain receptors this morning? It's because when we're talking about the, the story of the prodigal son, we have to talk about one word that is a very unpopular word in church world today, and I don't know why it's unpopular. Perhaps it's the way it's been approached. Perhaps it's the way it's been conveyed. I'm hoping today to revive the word repentance. 
Repentance is a gift to the church. And some of you are already having some PTSD from your preaching growing up or maybe from the church that you attended as a child where you heard about repentance. Repentance was swung like a sledgehammer from the pulpit. And I want to help revive it to help understand it, how necessary it is, but at the same time, how accessible it should be within our daily lives. In fact, I wrote this down this week in my notes. A mark of spiritual maturity is a short time span between sin and repentance. A mark of spiritual maturity is a short time span between sin and repentance, excuse me, sin and repentance. When you get that time span together, that's the mark of spiritual maturity. Some of you think the mark of spiritual maturity is not sinning. And like I said last week, I would like you to not sin. That would lighten up my counseling load like crazy. That would be wonderful. That would lighten up my Facebook message load. That would be wonderful. I want you to stop sinning. But a mark of spiritual maturity is not necessarily not sinning. The mark of it is that response of repentance as close as possible to that place of sin. I mean, Jesus talked about sin. In fact, sin, um, when he talked about sin, he talked about repentance. In fact, it says in, in Matthew chapter four, verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 5, 32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now notice he says the righteous. In two weeks, I'm gonna preach on self-righteousness. He's, it's almost this sarcastic statement in the Greek. I didn't come to call the people who think they're too righteous, I'm called to reach people who know that they're disconnected, to call them to be connected to God. We need a revival of repentance in the church. We need a revival of repentance in the world. And it's something that we shouldn't shirk back as if it's something that's only meant for a few people or something that's gonna crush us and demolish us into nothing. Repentance wasn't meant to bury you, it was meant to raise you. In fact, I love one of my best friends. Her name is Beth Moore. And we tweeted once back and forth, and so she's now my best friend. <laughs> Legitimately, we got in an argue, argument about tortilla chips on Twitter. We did it once. I promise you, best day of my life. Beth Moore, she said this, no act of violence against the gospel is more tragic than amputating repentance from the message of salvation. It is not a mercy. It cuts the legs off of those who would run to Jesus trying to think what ditch I'd be in without it. What an amazing, very graphic statement about repentance is that when we think that repentance is no longer needed, we are removing our ability to run to Jesus. We want to have people have uh, this idea of how to approach Jesus and we need to do it with repentance. Now let's clarify here, what is repentance and what is not repentance? Repentance is not suffering until we are worthy. It doesn't mean that you have to suffer until you're worthy or repentance is not isolation until we deserve relationships. Or I've had people say, well, I'm just staying clear of everybody until I deserve friendships again. That's not the Holy Spirit, that's the devil. Or how about this? Repentance is not self-loathing until we feel bad enough. How many, don't raise hands, how many of you believe that repentance was you have to just loathe yourself until you feel bad enough and when you feel bad enough, now you can come to Jesus. Or this, repentance is not shame until we've truly learned our lesson. 
Shame until we learned our lesson. Or, or lastly, repentance is not giving sin all of the attention. Some of us, we think it's all about listing all of our sin that we did. I think sometimes, I've had people come to me in repentance to list all of the things that they've done were sinful, and at one point I'm like, time out. Are you bragging or telling me what you've done? Repentance is not giving all of the attention to sin. Repentance is recognizing that there's got to be a change. In fact, I wrote it this way. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of direction and a change of behavior. Repentance is about a change of heart. And I use that term heart on purpose to give a little bit of a teaching tool. Because if you've been in this church long enough with us, you've understood that we have taught you that, especially in the scriptures, in Old Testament specifically, whenever you read the word heart, you have to think your mind. Because in the Western world, the seat of our thinking is our brain, but in this culture, in this ancient culture, the heart was actually the seat of their thoughts and their mindset. And so when, like in the book of Psalms, it says, guard your heart, what was it saying? It's saying, guard your mind. And so when it comes to our minds, we have to have that change of our mind, change of heart that leads us to change of direction and behavior. In fact, the Greek word is the Greek word metanoia. Meta means change, noia, mind. In other words, turn around your mentality, change the way you think. If you truly have repentance, repentance is changing your mind and changing direction. I no longer am going to choose to do this sin. I'm gonna turn around and I'm gonna go back the other direction. It's a change of your mind. Now often when we think about repentance, we're looking for people to be sorry. If they're repentant, then they're truly sorry. And now my question is, what does that even look like? Because I'll tell you this, um, I have children, they're older now, but when they were younger, I, when we made them apologize to each other over situations, I will tell you this, there are times that my daughter apologized for doing something to her little brother and she was sorry in the moment, but she didn't change her mind on whether or not it was right or wrong. How many of you have seen kids, you made them apologize, Johnny, you hit Bobby, go apologize, and he walks over, I apologize, Bobby, but in his head he's like, I'm glad I hit Bobby. <laughs> Repentance is more than saying you're sorry. Repentance is looking at it and recognizing what I did was wrong and I need to change my thinking about that. That's what leads us to Luke chapter 15 because what we've got is a situation in Luke chapter 15 verse 12 where he uses these words, give me. Give me. Give me what I'm entitled. I ought to do what I think. I ought to do what I feel. I ought to get what I want. It sounds a lot like a culture that we're living in right now. I ought to have what I think that I'm owed that I ought to have. And so give me everything that I am owed. Give it to me. Now, if you look down to verse 19, this is what's wild is his terms change. In verse 19, he says, I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Make me, instead of give me, make me like one of your hired men. How do you transition from give me to make me? I'm glad you asked me that question. The key word on transitioning from give me to make me is wrapped up in the word repentance. You see, the younger son that we've got listed out here, this younger son, he's in this mode where he begins to squander. Verse 13. 
Not long after that, long after he got his money, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and he squandered his wealth and wild living. He, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him in the field to feed pigs. Now, we're going to stop right there because as Jesus is talking to his audience, his audience is Jewish. And the Jewish law said that there were specific things that were specific animals that were unclean. And perhaps the most unclean animal that they knew of was what? A pig. And so we know that he has sold himself off as a hireling to a Gentile um, farm. And he is actually working for the pigs. This would have shocked the audience. And it says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Now those pods, they're called carob pods, and they were something that was a simple way to fatten up pigs, and they were also food for the poor. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. Look at that. When he came to his senses, there is a realization that took place in his heart where he recognized not necessarily that his identity has changed. He recognized the damage that his actions did. I want you to note that scripture. That's important. This man noticed the results and the damage that his actions caused. What we call that in today's day and age, we call it, I need you to write down this word, it's called conviction. When I think of repentance, repentance has two sides. Today we're going to talk about conviction. Next week we're going to talk about confession. But I want to talk to you about conviction because I think it's such an important part of conviction. Because conviction, excuse me, repentance, conviction is the realization or the revelation that I have acted in opposition to God. And I've had people say, well, maybe we shouldn't talk about conviction because we don't have people to feel bad about their decisions. I remember being in a, in, a, in a marriage counseling situation like a decade ago, and I remember the wife said, well, I don't want my husband to feel bad for his bad decisions. I'm like, no, let him go with the feeling. Like, pastor, that's mean. I'm like, if, if someone's made a bad decision, it's a, there's a difference between letting them feel bad and making them feel bad. You know, there's a difference between that. It's okay to feel bad for, for being dumb. I thought I'd get an amen out of that. It's okay. I've had, I've had parents say, well, I don't want my kid to feel dumb for a bad decision. It's okay to feel dumb. I feel dumb when I make a bad decision. You should too. Join the crowd. But we ought to be in the place where it's okay to let ourselves feel bad about a decision we made. That's what conviction does. Conviction is that revelation that I have done something and I have acted in opposition to the direction of God. And so I want to help you with conviction today. For the next just couple minutes, let me just give you a simple list on what conviction truly is. If you're taking notes, write this down. Conviction number one is a gift. Conviction is a gift. Now, now, we can go in two extremes. I see churches that go into protectionism. We don't talk about conviction because we don't want anybody to feel bad in the room. Depending upon your sports teams, I will make you feel bad. I feel bad enough. I'm a Lions fan, so get over it. I've got, I've got issues of myself here. 
But there's protectionism where we want to protect people from feeling bad about their sin. We can't talk about sin. We can't talk about those things because we don't want people to feel bad. But then you get the opposite pendulum and where the, the pastor's got his, his scripture hammer and he is just taking heads and taking names and he is just going after any sin that he can think of, anything he can make up, and most of the time things that he just doesn't like and we just make that sin. How about we bring that pendulum into the middle and we begin to get to the place where we don't have to hide what is sin, but at the same time, we don't have to swing the sickle. We can get to the place where we can live in God's presence and let the Spirit of God give us revelation to help us. Because the Spirit of God is there to give us a conviction, a revelation. And what does he give us the revelation of? He gives us the revelation of what is wicked, what is worthless, and what just ought to go. He gives us revelation. He puts the fing- his finger on those areas of our life. If we're willing to ask him, Holy Spirit, give me revelation. Help me to see some areas of my life that's wicked, that's worthless, and what needs to go. Because there's some areas of our life that are wicked, and it's got to go. And yet there's some areas of our life that we're just pouring into that are worthless. They shouldn't even be a part of our life. And yet there's some areas that he wants to shore up in our life that just needs to go because sometimes the Holy Spirit just shows us, you know what, for your future, this has got to go. For what I'm calling you to do, this has got to go. And so I dare you, I dare you this week to pray and say, Spirit of God, Lord, shine on my business, my work life. Shine in my marriage, shine in my parenting as a child, help me to shine in my relationship between me and my parents. Lord, show areas of my life, show me the things that are wicked, that, show me the things that are worthless, show me what has to go. Because there are times that God is calling you into something and there are some things that just have to go or they're worthless and they're not even sin. Let me tell you, sometimes the Spirit of God will give you a revelation of something that has to go and it has nothing to do with sin and it has everything to do with what he's calling you into. There's a, a good friend of mine, he was a former youth leader. He played high school baseball, he played college baseball, he got a tryout with the Tigers. And uh, then he does what, what all of us do after we play high school sports, we play church softball. Just what we do. And so he played church softball, played it for years. And after a while, he became, he became an executive at Dow Chemical. And he's like, everybody golfs. He goes, I'm a good golfer. And so he, he hired a golf pro to mentor him and tutor him to make him a better golfer. And as the golf professional is watching him, he says, by any chance, do you still play baseball or softball? He says, yes, why? He says, I could tell by your swing. You're swinging like a baseball club, a baseball bat instead of a golf club. And he goes, well, but this is what I do on this night, then I golf on these nights. And he says, the reality is this, for you to do this, you have to step away from that. And there are times that as we were in prayer, the gift of the Holy Spirit is conviction where he says, listen, this is wicked, this is worthless, but sometimes you've just gotta let go of something because that's the thing that's been holding you back. And there are times that the Spirit of God will challenge you to get out of relationships that have been holding you back. Sometimes he's just saying you need to build up boundaries in your relationships because those lack of boundaries have been holding you back. You've been watching this stuff. You've been listening to this stuff. You've been putting this in your body. It's time to let that aside because sometimes God gives us convictions that have nothing to do with sin but everything to do with surrender. There are times the Spirit of God gives you a conviction and he puts his finger on something, not because it's sin. Some of you guys convicting you about your spouse right now. He's not convicting because your spouse is a sinner. Could be. 
And I'm not saying to separate yourself from your spouse. Pastor Dave gave me permission this morning. No, he did not. But perhaps there's something in the relationship that does need to be dealt with. Perhaps there's bitterness, there's unforgiveness, and there's things that God has put his hand, his finger on that mode and said, it's time to set that aside. Maybe it was wicked, maybe it was worthless, maybe it just simply is what needs to go. Secondly, conviction is not just a gift. I'll be honest, sometimes conviction is painful. Nobody amens that one. <laughs> there's no hankies fly, uh, flying at that moment. Sometimes it is painful. Uh, do you know what the word gospel means? Anybody? Good news, you get a Pop-Tart for that one. Good news. The gospel literally means good news. But can I give a revelation about the word gospel? Even though the word means good news, it's also bad news. Why is it bad news? Because if you look at the word gospel and the hope that we have in Christ, the reason why we have a hope in Christ is because outside of him, we are hopeless. And the good news means that there's bad news, that there is a condition for which we needed a savior, which means that the word gospel literally brings a highlight to the fact that without Jesus, that we, we've got damnation, we've got sin, we've got a debt that's against our lives. We've got that there. And look at the younger son. The younger son, he was in the middle of the pig pen and he felt the weight, he felt the pain of what it was like to be away from the father. He felt hungry, the pains of his stomach as he began to long for, what could I have if I returned to the Father? What could life look like if I returned to the Father? What could it be? You see, without the pain of conviction, we would experience the pain of lost life. Without the pain of conviction in our life, without that moment where God gives us realization, we, we could destroy our marriages. We could destroy relationships. We could destroy, we could destroy our children or destroy our relationship with our parents. Without conviction, there's, you realize how much we could destroy? Do you want to know why uh, the, uh, someone with leprosy, it's called Hansen's disease, that's what I was trying to think of. Do you know why Hansen's disease or leprosy is so bad? And you've heard tales and stories about leprosy in biblical times, people's fingers would fall off or toes would fall off or this or that. It's, it's not because the disease caused those things to fall off. It's because that, those diseases killed the pain receptors and those pain receptors, because they're gone, those areas will keep getting damaged and keep getting damaged because they were, until they were no longer usable. And so conviction is this gift that causes us to feel so that we know what's wrong, we know what's wicked, we know what's worthless, we know what we don't need, so we no longer ever harm ourselves in that area. You may not like conviction, but conviction is that pain receptor that God says, it, feel, it hurts because it's not supposed to be a part of your life. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10. This is so good. It says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and the results, of results in salvation. There's no regret for that type of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Look at that. God wants you to feel sorrow. Now, the type of sorrow he wants you to feel is the type of sorrow that actually helps you and leads you away from sin and results in salvation. So, salvation, so conviction has a gift, it is a gift, it can be painful, but secondly, conviction and shame are not the same. Conviction and shame, they appear the same, but they're not the same. Shame is from the devil, conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Shame says, I am, I am bad. Conviction says, I did a bad thing. Shame condemns and reduces us to nothing. Conviction convinces us that we're wrong, and, but we're still raised up as God's son and daughter. Shame is meant to bury us. Conviction is meant to raise us. And I wrote this in my journal this week, that 
Shame is like a shovel and conviction's a pry bar. One is meant to bury you and the other one's meant to raise you up. And the challenge that I'm gonna give you today is to change your terminology. Because whenever people talk to me about what they're feeling and they'll say, Pastor Dave, I feel so ashamed about this. I'll, I'll often say this, is it shame or is it conviction? Well, Pastor Dave, what's the difference? The difference is one is a gift of God and one, one is a torment from the devil. One is meant to bury you and the one is meant to raise you. Well, I feel like it's burying me. Then let's recognize it for what it is because we ought to feel conviction for doing something sinful, but the conviction is not there to bury us and put us underneath God's foot and to squash us down and reduce us to nothing. When God gives us conviction, it's because he's trying to raise us up and get us up out of the miry clay, as the old hymn says, and to put our feet on solid rock. That's what conviction was meant to do. And if we can change the terminology, we'll actually recognize it for what it is. Because if the enemy's used in shame, then you can see it for what it is. And we can say, God, help me with the shame. Give me the conviction and move me forward. And number four, and worship team, we need your help here. Number four, conviction is God's encouragement. Conviction is a gift. It can be painful. It's not the same thing as shame. But conviction is God's encouragement. You're like, well, you said that it's painful. It could be uncomfortable. How in the world is this encouragement? Because when there's the presence of conviction, that's God tapping on your heart saying, I've got a better life for you. I've got a better life for you. When something's come up on the computer that should not be on that computer and you're looking and you're staring and you feel that conviction, it's because God's tapping on your heart saying, I've got something better for you than what you're looking at when you're having inappropriate conversations with somebody and all of a sudden something inside your heart is beginning to stir and something doesn't feel right, that pain of not feeling right. What is it? It's not shame. That's the spirit of God tapping your heart saying, listen, you're in an inappropriate conversation or you're saying things that you shouldn't be saying. You're believing things you shouldn't believe. And that conviction, that tap on the heart is God saying, listen, you can keep living that way, but I've got a better way for you to live. It is God's encouragement. It is God wrestling with your spirit saying, I've got better things in store for you. I've got better things in store for your marriage. I've got better things in store for your business tactic. I've got better things in store for the way that you look at people, the way you feel about things. I've got a better way for you to live. Verse 19, this is so good. The younger son says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. There's a very cool terminology here in the Greek language because some people read it and some of your translations might say, make me or treat me like one of your servants or like one of your slaves. And that's actually an, it's a wrong translation. The word hired men is a specific terminology in the Greek and it, what it means is, it means people who would have been hired to come onto the area, come onto the land, they were tradesmen and he's saying, make me like one. In other words, I have no ability to be a son any longer, so could you hook me up with one of these tradesmen so I can learn a trade and I could do something with my life. He's literally wanting a job, but in his brain, I have wronged the father so much and I have so much shame that I have no possibility to ever become a son again. So maybe out of your mercy, you can make me like somebody else. He gave a specific request because in his own brain, he saw the impossibility they can ever be a son. The other thing that, it gets pointed, that doesn't get pointed out here is when he goes to his father, 
and he is repenting to his father. In this culture, this culture, when you were ever making restitution, you have to come with a gift. Do you know what he brought with him for his father? Nothing. All he had was himself. And I think this is such a beautiful picture of you and I. Because when we need to make restitution with God, can I tell you what you get to bring? Nothing but yourself. And sometimes our mentality is when we come to church or we come to God and maybe we have wandered away from God, we have fallen out of relationship with God or whatever terminology you're gonna use, we used the word backslidden last week. There are some times that we go into this mode of God, I wanna come back to you, but maybe you can do this reduced level with me. Just make me like a hired servant. I don't deserve anything else. You know what? Shame says you don't deserve anything else. But conviction is the pathway to back to the Father's house where the Father does more than take you back. He raises you back up to son level. He raises you back to daughter level. Conviction is not meant to stop and to push your head into the ground until you feel sorry. Conviction brings you to the place where you realize that God loves you immensely and you can come back to him and he's not there waiting for you to make restitution in terms of you gotta bring this gift and you gotta give these many tithes and you gotta serve this long and you gotta do all of this penance and you gotta serve all of this way and you gotta say all of these specific magical words in the scripture and all of these specific scriptures. If you say this enough, then maybe you can be a son or a daughter again. This is the proof that it's not repentance that caused the father to love. It's the Father's love that caused repentance. It's one of my favorite quotes from Tim Keller. When you repent, it doesn't make God love you. You know what, he already loves you. And his love is what moves you to repent. And it's his love that causes the conviction. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't convict you. So right now, if you're in the house today feeling convicted, let me tell you something, it means God loves you. Is that the pastor Dave hates you? You preach this because you hate me. No, it's because I love you. And I will tell you this, that I spent some years of my life dabbling in areas of sin so much that I no longer felt conviction. I knew on my brain it was wrong, but I no longer felt it. And scripture talks about hearts become seared. But we're gonna go into a worship song today and we're gonna, it's a song that we've already led you through. And we're, I'm gonna ask that you would use this time to do a lot of self-reflection. The idea of when I lock eyes with you, Lord, today I wanna to lock eyes with you in such a way that maybe you can remind me of things that are wrong. Areas of my life, calluses that have been built up that I no longer feel any conviction about. And I'm convinced that if there's anybody in the house that's saying, well, I, I, I don't do anything wrong or there's no way possible that I could be wrong in this. I, I, I believe that people that don't experience conviction, it's not they don't experience conviction. What they do experience is the protection of their own pride. And we gotta get back to the place where we welcome conviction. Joel chapter two, verse 13. It says, rend your hearts and not your garments. In the Old Testament, whenever people were sorry, they would pull their garments and they would rip them to show that they were truly merciful. And God says, listen, save your clothes. Save your shirts, save your dresses, shave your tunics, save it all. Stop showing that you're sorry, be sorry. Rend your hearts 
and return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents over disaster. Because feeling conviction isn't punishment, punishment, punishment from God. It is the key to unlocking the prison of the type of life that God, that was holding you back. Conviction isn't about crushing you. It's about raising you.